The Guardian. Hello, welcome to Guardian Football Weekly Extra. Today, football and transfers all in one. A Maurizio masterclass as Spurs humble United wins two for City and Liverpool. A fun couple of days for Olivier Giroud playing for Arsenal as they get done by Swansea. Then sitting on the bench as Chelsea get done by Bournemouth. He's part of the centre-forward love triangle, which was the most fun part of the window. Elsewhere today, terrible penalties, album regrets, your questions. And that's today's Guardian Football Weekly Extra. Uh, Jonathan Wilson, hello. Hello. Just been to the personal trainer? I have, yeah. Uh, what did you work on today? Uh, lower back, trying to trying to loosen it up. So a lot of, a lot of stretching today. Sure. Apparently my, my upper back is now happily loose. Mm-hmm. And the lower back is still hold, holding me back. Okay. John Bruin, how are you? I'm all right, Max. How's, how your, you? how's your lower back? Uh, it's been worse over the years. Okay. So doing a bit of walking, so that loosens it up. Marvellous. I don't go to a personal trainer. Okay. Uh, now, before... We start recording. We like to see what everyone's had for breakfast. This is where Lars's uh, amusing breakfasts began. Just to check that our, you know, we sound okay before we start recording. And Barry, you normally have a coffee and a fag, don't you? Correct. And your breakfast today was what? Um, well, because I uh, was working late last night, I had to get up early to watch match of the day. So I thought I'd have a proper breakfast. So I had peach yogurt followed by porridge with raisins and honey, followed by three boiled eggs. And three slices of toast, followed by two more slices of toast with lime marmalade and a mini box of Smarties, all accompanied by a pint of orange juice and two mugs of uh, coffee. A pint of orange juice? Yeah. Wow. And uh, like after the second egg, did you think, <laughs> I need another egg? Well, I boiled all three eggs at the same time. Okay. It's, to uh, keep them company. That's what Paul Newman did in Cool and Lee. He boiled a 50. I just, just have to finish them. Anyway, I'm interested to see how that affects your performance. Will it, would you think you'll be have more energy or there'll be a sort of slump, you know, a sort of Christmas dinner like... No, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go into a food coma or anything, but, um, you know, the, the oatmeal is slow release, isn't it? Mm. So... I should be. Smarties aren't though, are they? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Wembley, Spurs 2, Manchester United nil. A goal after 11 seconds. Um, a great own goal from Phil Jones. Uh, an amusing uh, substitution for Fellaini, although he turned out to be injured. And Spurs completely dominant. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this game, Jonathan, because I quite like Spurs. Yeah, um, I actually I got a bit frustrated with Spurs. Um, I, I thought they should have won more easily. They... they, they Seem to be a lot of people taking on shots they didn't really need to take on. Um, I mean, Harry Kane went mad at Son for where well, he could have squared it, but that wasn't the only time that happened. And it, I think Spurs have a slight tendency to do that. I thought it happened when they beat Liverpool 4-1 as well, that they actually should have won that game much more easily and they got a little bit sloppy late on. But I mean, yeah, they were clearly... The, the fact I'm saying that suggests how dominant they were. Um, and Phil Jones, you know, he, he he's one of those players that... He's obviously a good footballer, United have kept six clean sheets in a row before last night. But when Phil Jones has a bad game, it really looks like a bad game. And he had an awful game last night. Do you think that's just because the camera focuses in on him gurning? Yeah, partly. But it's also, I think, he's, there's something about the, the shape of him that he sometimes struggles to get his limbs in the right positions. And that was what caused uh, the own goal. So if John Stones had a bad game and did exactly the, made exactly the same mistakes that Phil Jones... But he wouldn't. He, John, they'd make different types of mistakes. Okay. okay. Um, Barry, was this Spurs being brilliant or Manchester United being terrible? I just couldn't work it out. It just looked so straightforward for Tottenham. I didn't quite understand it. I think it's a bit of both, really. Um, Spurs were outstanding. But Jose Marino got it all wrong. I was sort of waiting for him after the game to deflect attention away from the performance by saying something outrageous or blaming the ref or something but he, to be fair he didn't he just conceded that United hadn't played very well and I think he has to take some responsibility for that and it's a bit annoying for us who constantly criticise him for parking the bus against good teams because last night he didn't park the bus he played Pogba alongside Matic as one of the, the two in front of the defence and it really didn't work at all. Pogba looked fairly lost and it would suggest that uh, it's not a, an approach Marino will take again against a good team and I think uh, football viewers or neutrals will be the poorer for that, we'll miss out. Do you think, is that Jose's fault or Pogba's fault? Um, John? I, I, I think 
the thing is with Pogba, at which point do Manchester United or Jose Mourinho actually get buyer's remorse with him? Because there's so many... You know when... Um, Okay, you know when you're younger and you go out and you buy a record and you try and convince yourself that it's good because you've spent money on it. I think there's a bit of that going on with Pogba for Manchester United, Manchester United fans. Because I, I, personally, I don't really see what he brings. I mean, listen, all the pieces are there. He's a fantastically skillful player. He's athletic, um, has a personality for leadership yet they can't fit him into the team or they can't find a system that brings the best out of this player. Um, and there was that, there's that sort of little vignette, wasn't there, where him and uh, him and uh, Mourinho are having a discussion on the sideline. Of course, Pogba is doing the hand-over-the-mouth thing, which, you know, we must all do. I mean, does he think he's actually going to be saying anything interesting that anyone wants to lip-read? I'm not sure. But... Um, Maybe this was a watershed moment in the Mourinho relationship with Pogba because he substituted him, rightly so. And there's been other games, big games actually, where Pogba deserved to get the hook. This was the first time maybe where you begin to think, is he all that? What yeah. was the record that you bought but regretted? Uh, oh. Uh, More than words, extreme? I, no, uh, I went through a Marillion phase. Um, uh, what's the most embarrassing album I've ever bought? that I would actually admit to. Do you know what? I did buy this, and I've never admitted this before. Alanis Morissette's album, I bought it once. Jagged Little Pill. Yeah. I was one of 50 million or whatever. To Do buy. you know what? If, I, if you I put it on now... over that yeah. purchase. I don't think that's anything to be ashamed of. I, Apart I, from I, the I fact she doesn't bit... get the concept of irony, uh, and as Ed Byrne, the comedian, famously pointed out, the only ironic thing about that song is that sh- the person who wrote it doesn't understand <laughs> irony. Um, I, I thought that was a pretty good album. I'm with you, Baz. Jonathan? I've never heard of any of these people. I think she was a top-selling female artist of the 90s, I Jonathan. I believe she's Canadian, isn't she? she in, yes. the trip, in the trip to Italy, uh, it's the only CD that Steve Coogan and Rob Bryden have. And it is, it's, uh, watch it, it's very funny. You were going to make a point about Pogba, about which Pogba. I suspect listeners might be more interested about. I doubt it. I mean, uh. yeah, you haven't heard it yet. <laughs> um, but it, it, it struck me during the year, you know, I'd, I'd seen Pogba every now and again playing for Juve and thought, oh, he's, yeah, he's really good. And then during the Euros, France couldn't work out how to use him in a 4 2 3 1. Um, that if you play him deep, he's not really disciplined enough. And also, he has his attributes in, in terms of getting up and down the pitch, his. his uh, goal scoring abilities, ability to, to make those late runs in the box. It feels like you're not getting the most out of that. But if you play him as a number 10, he's not technically good enough with his back to goal. If he needs to play in sort of an in between position, which a 4 3 3 would give him, or a 3 5 2 would give him. So, you know, I, I think as long as Mourinho wants to play the 4 2 3 1, that's going to be a problem. And I, I think we actually don't know how Mourinho wants to set us up. Sorry, are night. you suggesting he's like 10,000 spoons when all you need is a knife? <laughs> I'm guessing that's an Alanis Morissette lyric. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Oh. <laughs> um, the BT guys, of which Frank Lampard, I've got to say, I think is an absolutely brilliant pundit, uh, were also picking out a comparison between Lukaku and Kane, and Kane completely bullying the Manchester United centre-backs, and Lukaku not really doing anything. That's slightly unfair on Lukaku, isn't it? If, if Man United barely had the ball, and... It's quite hard if you're a centre forward when you just have to sprint around for no reason. Yeah, so if you, and the other thing I was going to say with Pogba, which, which links into this, is I, you know, Barry was saying that Mourinho didn't park the bus. I'm not sure we know what he was going to do if he hadn't gone <laughs> well, 1 0 yeah. down for 11 seconds. Did you not analyse the first eight seconds? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I have watched them probably more than I've watched the first 11 seconds of any other game this season. That, that, that is true. Um, but I think just because he sat out in that 4 2 3 1, he has a history of playing the three quite deep. So, I mean, with Inter, when, when the famous game with Barca, the three were Pandev, Eto and Snyder, uh, who you on paper are attacking players. So in the same way that Lingard, Alexis and um, uh, Martial, Martial you, you'd think of a team. tough training session, isn't it? I got in very late last <laughs> night. and I have a question for you, Barry, which is for Spurs fans. Will there be any frustration that they can do this against Manchester United, they can do it against Liverpool, but they've drawn at home to West Ham and West Brom and Swansea and Burnley? Well, you'd have to ask Spurs fans that. I mean, I don't think any Spurs fan would have watched that performance last night and gone, 
uh, why, why can't we do that against Burnley or West Ham? They've just been pleased with a really good performance. I mean, getting Ericsson back makes a huge difference as well. Well, absolutely. Yeah, he was outstanding last night, and you really know how good he is well, when he is there, and particularly when he isn't there. So you'd have to ask a Spurs fan. I don't know. Um, uh, up to Joe uh, on the subject of Pogba says Manchester United's defeat to Spurs last night ended Paul Pogba's 36 match unbeaten run as a Premier League player. I run told that- you he's rubbish. Say again. I told you he's rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> a run that spanned over a year, well over a year, a year and a half. One twenty three, drawn thirteen. Um, at Chelsea, October twenty sixteen. It was last right? time. Yeah. Um, uh, Spurs bought four nil. Yeah, right. Spurs have bought Lucas Mora. I watched a ten-minute highlights reel of him on YouTube, and now I'm convinced he's the greatest footballer to have ever walked the earth. I tweeted this, and some few responses were, "I did the same with Clinton and G and Charles and Zogbia." And I think you can make any footballer look great with a YouTube highlights do you, reel. Do you remember um, Bebe that played for Manchester United? Mm. Um, maybe this was in the early days of highlight reels on YouTube, but. Um, his highlight reel made him look rubbish. Like, <laughs> it, it made its way around, you know, the Manchester United fans, and it was just like, oh my god, what what is this? And there's a sort of a couple of missed kicks, there's a missed overhead kick, and there's some bad crosses. And lo and behold, what did he provide? <laughs> it was that. Oh, that's great! An like- honest highlights reel. Uh, is he any good, Lucas Moura, Wilson? Uh, the little bits I've seen of him. He looks well. Okay, is he better than Vince Sissoko? Yes. So in that sense, he's an upgrade. But yeah, what, what, what little bits I've seen of him, he clearly can play. Whether he's positionally disciplined and things, I, yeah, I, I don't know. Okay, uh, we will find out. And ask Philippe when he's uh, next here as well. Um, let's move to Stamford Bridge. Chelsea nil, Bournemouth three. Uh, Barry, I was not predicting this result. No, I was quite shocked, and I was even more shocked when I saw uh, what there was of it on Match of the Day because. That particular Bournemouth showreel was mightily impressive. They were outstanding. There was absolutely no fluke about this at all. They completely outplayed Chelsea, ripped them apart at times. And their front three of Callum Wilson, Jordan Ibe and Junior Stanislas just ripped Chelsea apart. Uh, Chelsea's defence had no answer for them whatsoever. Antonio Conte, I don't think, didn't try to make any excuses afterwards. And... It's difficult to see him last in the end of the season, I think. Well, but you start a season, you said difficult to see him lasting until Christmas. Yeah, and last season I thought he'd be gone by summer. But um, he, he doesn't seem particularly interested anymore. The way he's been criticising uh, Chelsea's spending or lack of it is bound to have upset or annoyed Roman Abramovich and... But yeah, this is about Bournemouth. They were absolutely outstanding, and they're—I think they're tenth now on the table, mm-hmm. having looked relegation certainties not too long ago. So uh, not lost, I think, since uh, City beat them in the twenty-third of December. So good little run for Bournemouth. But but you say you know they were thoroughly outplayed. It is a strange, it's a strange point in a season where Chelsea will be thoroughly outplayed at home by Bournemouth. Yeah, I, and I mean, I, yeah, Tottenham have had a great week, haven't they? With Two of the, I mean, I don't know if you count Arsenal as a rival for the Champions League, but you know, two two um, other members of the top six suffering defeats they can't really have predicted, and then getting a big win. Um, and so, in last time I was on, we were talking about who's going to get the top four, and there seemed to be a general sort of belief that Chelsea would slip out. And I was sort of saying, no, I think we'd stay in. Well, maybe they will slip out. I, um, that's twice in three seasons, haven't they? They lost at home to Bournemouth because hmm. it's. Uh, towards the end of, of a Mourinho half-season. Can you see Conte staying, John? Or if he does, he's <laughs> going to go in the summer. I mean, he's uh, almost grumpier than Jose now. I mean, you, you, you could see one of those situations that we've had before where maybe the first leg of the Champions League tie, it's Barcelona, isn't it? Uh, they've got... I think the Chelsea fans were singing, Barcelona, we're coming for you. So, a bit of gallows humour down the bridge. Um, <laughs> but when the weird thing about that is they were... Brilliant, the game away against Atletico. I mean, I watched that game and yes, saw th- th- they've th- absolutely cracked it. They, they, they kind of guaranteed semi-finalists. Well, yeah, I think that was the best performance by an English team in the Champions League group stage that, that I saw. Um, but then you've got, I don't know, it's just Chelsea, isn't it? This is this is the way it goes. Suddenly things start 
you know, fraying at the edges and wheels just come off and results like this happen. And the thing is, for Chelsea fans, it's just, oh, well, we've seen this before. We'll just get another manager in and then... Anybody he might... know what Gus Eddings doing? Well, he's not the Australian manager. No. No, it's Van Marvijk, isn't it? Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. But uh, Gus Hiddink... Uh, or what's Di Matteo doing, even? Where's Avram Grant now? Well, we're bringing the Champions League specialist. Get Di Matteo back. Uh, yeah. So. Good idea. Uh, but they've got Giroud... Um, a yeah, poor lad. <laughs> we wouldn't want a miserable. That's like our job. Like two miserable nights sitting in the cold, watching a team get beat. He looked. He looked to be enjoying himself though last night. I mean, the footage that you saw. Well, maybe, maybe he reflected on the time at Arsenal. And thought actually, it wasn't that bad. Yeah, yeah. He scored 105 goals in all competitions um, at Arsenal. 25 more than any other Arsenal player in the time that he was there. Um, uh, I think, you know, of all the players when we were discussing who Chelsea might get, Giroud is a better bet than any of the others that we suggested. Hmm. And I think in that merry-go-round, he will probably... Well, he's definitely the best value, I would imagine, and I'd say he'll be the most effective of all the strikers involved. More than Aubameyang? I think so, because Arsenal have just sold in this window alone the scorers of over 60 goals last season. But the top scorers the last five seasons have all left in this window, haven't they? Yeah, so I think Giroud scored 16 last season, uh, Walcott 19 and Sanchez 30. So, yeah, that's over 60 goals. Is Aubameyang uh, and Mkhitaryan, are they going to replace those 60-plus goals and the rest? No, I don't think so. Plus, Arsenal can buy as many Obama Yangs and Mkhitaryans as they like. It's not going to help their defence, and it's their defence that's the problem. They keep letting in crappy goals, silly goals, making stupid individual errors. And, uh, yeah, so I, I think Giroud will be of more use to Chelsea than Obama Yang will be to Arsenal. I was going to say, if we're moving on to Arsenal, it's the defensive midfield that's the problem. Xhaka last night. Xhaka. Oh, sorry, two nights ago. Xhaka against Swansea. Is it the second goal... Where Lucas just runs through it. Yeah. Just runs through, and he's just stood there watching. <laughs> yeah, as if, first goal, as if he'd, I don't know, won a competition, but the special prize is you get to go on the pitch and watch while this Premier League game is taking place around you. It was just amazing. <laughs> to be fair to him, tracking your man is really tough. Yeah, I mean, he's, no one likes doing it. No. But, you know, that's the job. Um, yeah, they do have problems. Just... just that Peter Crouch thing, John. Did you? Was that a joke you said on the? It pod? was a joke. Yeah, I can't claim any. <laughs> and then four hours later, it was like headline <laughs> news everywhere. Um, and the thing is about that move. I, I don't know if you know knew this, but Peter Crouch actually still lives in London. So, um, I, 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 a year ago, or so I made a series of vain attempts to get Peter Crouch to, for interview, and he was up for it, and then disappeared off the radar, as footballers often do. But. One of the things is that he lives somewhere in North London and commutes every day to Stoke on the first-class train. It's one hour, 20 minutes, first-class in the... Uh, presumably, he might need two seats, but I, I don't know that. You'd want a table. He would click on table, table front-facing. <laughs> yeah, I think first-class would be lost on him because the only benefit I can see from first-class is that you get that white linen cloth over your headrest, mm-hmm. which... His head would be above the headrest, and therefore it's just sort of on his neck. Yeah. So, I'd, uh, what's the benefit? Yeah. Well, you get a breakfast, Barry. Not quite as luxurious as <laughs> as yours, but um, and also it's only three seats across, not four, so you've got a little bit more space. If you'd really wanted to have interviewed Peter Crouch, couldn't you have just booked a ticket on the train and then just struck up conversation? I'm not sure uh, my previous employer's expenses ran to speculative 500 quid train rides. I'm <laughs> Just afraid. keep getting on that train. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm still intrigued by... I still want to, someone to draw up the map of all the commuting footballers so you could just see it, just see where they're all going from and to. But Winston Bogart's... Uh, <laughs> Amsterdam shuttle yeah. that he used to get every every morning. <laughs> Pick up his wages. It's <laughs> a brilliant idea. Um, we should praise Carlos Carvajal because Swansea, those two wins are huge and they were kind of adrift. I mean, they're still in the relegation zone, Barry, but they are now level on points with Southampton and one point behind Newcastle, Brighton, Stoke and Huddersfield. Yeah, and what strikes me about that is people, as we've seen, work themselves into an awful frenzy during the transfer window saying oh we need players to help us stay up you know we must improve the team we must bring in new players Carvajal's worked away quietly there for what is it five games 
uh, he's got 10 points uh, without any new signings, which to me shows the benefit of just coaching the players you have to be better. And I think that's maybe something a lot of managers could learn from. Uh, Jose Mourinho would be the uh, prime example of that these and, days. And modern-day Arsene Wenger, I think, and, uh, as well. Modern-day people actually just... You know, when it, when a team goes wrong, the instinct of fans is to say, clear out all these players or buy more players. I don't know if that's a product of Twitter, football manager or whatever. This is a group of old men speaking here, of course. But it, I'm, it just I'm still... You get a millennial keeping a toaster for eight, for 12 years, John. 12 years and it still works. Why would I get a new one? Yeah, mine's Why actually a year older than that. Mine's I'm not old, I'd like to point out. But your hair is greyer than anyone else's. That's, I have a very stressful life, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm 38 and a half for the record. Anyway, you were saying, John. Uh, but yeah, I, I just, I, I often think, um, isn't, isn't that quote from Laurence Olivier where someone's, is it... Um, Dustin Hoffman? Dustin Hoffman's, you know, method acting, you know, have you ever tried acting, darling, or whatever? You know, you tend to think with some managers and coaches, you ever tried coaching, darling? You know, rather than just complaining about the players that they have, I mean, as, as we've seen Conte complaining about his recruits, you know, maybe you should just try and switch the t- team around a bit, maybe motivate them a bit better. A lot of it these days, because it's so it's about money and transfers and agents, that always seems to be the excuse. And they actually made, they just changed the coach. And I think they brought, they brought in two players, Swansea, final day, the transfer window. Andre Ayew and Andy King. Exactly. Uh, Andre Ayew actually is an interesting deal because they <laughs> West Ham could have had him for free two years ago, bought, uh, bought him the following season for £20 million and then sold him back to Swansea for £18 million, which will rise to £20, I think, if Swansea stay up. So they actually didn't pay anything for him in the end at all. But anyway, um, <laughs> uh, I, th- I think Swansea have you know, shown that and they did it last season with Paul Clement as well. If, if you make a change and you have a, a coach that can make a change, that's better than just <clears throat> bringing in a job lot of players and hoping for the best. Uh, Tony says, is Alfie Mawson currently the best English centre-half in the league? Bracket seriously. And either way, why isn't he being mentioned for the World Cup? Imperious against Arsenal and Liverpool in defence and going forward in a week where Cahill, Smalling and Jones uh, would like to forget. Philippe Claire says, you're not wrong. Definitely one of the best. What astounds me is hardly anybody else seems to have noticed it. I haven't seen enough of him to be able to judge, but what I have seen, he's been outstanding. He is quite young. I don't wouldn't see that as being a problem. And <laughs> on, on recent evidence, particularly the evidence of last night, you'd certainly have him in any squad before <laughs> Phil Jones. <laughs> but you know, Chris Walling as well, yeah. What one swallow well, I think make the problem was just that Swansea had such a <coughs> such a rough time sort of in the middle of last season and then you know, towards the end and then they had such a bad start this season, he sort of gets forgotten about because of that. But uh, I'd say beginning of last season people were talking about him. And I, I, I agree, he certainly should be in the conversation, yeah. I think he's one of those players that um you probably noticed him before because of what he did in attack. And then um in defence he can be a little bit impetuous, he's maybe not as solid as he might be, but those last two games, he certainly looked the part there. So, you know, in big games, he might be a good player, which is actually what England need. Uh, one more note on... Oh, sorry, Barry. But just one other thing about Swansea. I, I don't think you can underestimate, because we've spoken to Ellis in here, Swansea goes to most of their games home and away, and he was at his absolute wit's end about how bad they were. You know, they were an absolute shambles. Before Carvajal took over, and he's taken no time at all to whip them into shape. Uh, one note on Arsenal is Mesut Ozil's new three and a half year deal. He'll earn three hundred and fifty thousand pounds a week before tax. Is this a good thing, Jonathan, for Arsenal on a footballing front, not societally about players earning money? Well, I mean, on that, uh, did you see Nick Harris's tweet yesterday where he was comparing percentage of clubs' turnover? to their best paid players wage and pointing out that actually Ozil is paid I think 3.2% of Arsenal's turnover whereas Arsenal's best paid player in 1989 was paid 3.8% so actually Ozil should be getting more in some ways um, Who was their best paid player in 1989? I'm an old man I can't remember that kind of thing Tony Adams you would have thought it Might have been Tony Adams Tony. yeah maybe it was Yeah, Alan Smith who they just recently signed something like that anyway Um 
I mean, I, I, my suspicion is that Ozil stayed because nobody wanted him. Yeah, I don't, I don't think Ozil's got any great sort of desire to keep playing for Arsenal. I don't think he hates them, but I don't. You know, I think he was quite keen on the idea of moving, and nobody else who could afford him wanted him. So he's ended up staying, and that's indicative of sort of a general stagnation around Arsenal. What I thought was weird about this was that they announced that deal on the final day of the transfer window. Right, exactly. Yeah. What had they been doing before that? You know, I mean, well, waiting as if he went. Well, presumably uh, the, the deal was agreed. You know, because they were at Swansea the day before. It was, it was almost they were covering up bad news, but they bought quite a good player, and it just well, yeah, seemed. But, I mean, I, I also I can't work out any way you, you fit Lacazette, Aubameyang, Mkhitaryan, and Özil into the same side. Can you not play four four two? Not with them players, no. Not not, not <laughs> four, have two, any four. kind of like play Özil out wide left. I suppose you can play some kind of four two 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 if if, if Arsenal had Sounds two. Sounds awfully narrow. It is narrow, but they also do have overlapping fullbacks. But they just don't have anybody at the back of midfield who actually protect them. Well, they've got, they've got Granite Xhaka to do the job. <laughs> hey, we haven't mentioned Petr Cech, and because he's always, just for years, been a brilliant goalkeeper. And I know he made that ricket, and keepers can all wait, can all do that. But I don't know if it's just because he's waiting to get this clean sheet record, and he keeps not getting it that that people notice. But he doesn't seem to be the same player that he was. I don't think he has been the same player he was for quite some time. Um, he perhaps didn't make as many glaring errors. I, to be fair to him, last night it was a <laughs> terrible mess. But Nacho Monreal wasn't entirely blameless either. You know, he had a shocker last night. T- and, Tuesday night. Oh, sorry, Tuesday night. Yeah. And but yeah, check. I don't think he's good enough to to play anymore. To play in a team with Champions League aspirations and it's not really a criticism of him he's like the rest of us he's not getting any younger you know and he was outstanding for a very long time but I, I think his mojo is, is slowly evaporating I, I believe the long ter- there is a plan to get a, a long term goalkeeper in Arsenal but I haven't actually heard who it might be which is very Arsenal well, I mean, it might got- come from Germany judging by their local recent but they've also got this problem haven't they that they're not in the Champions League so that, that sort of reduces the pool of players who are going to want to come do, to you. Do, do goalkeepers, are they? Is it quite the They're same? They're so ambitious just because of goalkeepers. No, <laughs> yeah. They just don't care. I know, but there's fewer, there's fewer, you know, pl- players there's fewer to places to go in. Sure, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I know. I, I <laughs> no, I understand your point as well. Yeah. It's a bit different for goalkeepers. They're just, it's they're, just not, they're not like yeah, real I mean, people. They're not, are they? no. I mean, no, no so, you know, there are only twenty first choice goalkeepers as opposed to however many players that might be able to, you know, get a first team place now and again, uh, or you know, the Champions League clubs. It, it's uh, of the four Champions League clubs. It, I don't know. It, a goalkeeper. I mean, I don't know. Having said that, you know, David de Gea. They always said, you know, he would want to go Real Madrid to win the Champions League and stuff like that. So yeah, but, I mean, it's, you know, Liverpool are clearly going to be looking for a keeper in the summer. Yeah, and if you got a choice, Liverpool or Arsenal? If Liverpool are in the Champions League and Arsenal aren't, that helps make that decision I've, I've a lot easier. I've solved it already. Mignolet at Arsenal. They're made for each other. <laughs> made um, for each other. Manchester City beat West Brom three um, nil. Laporte's debut. Uh, he looked quite good. Don't know how much he had to do. Uh, De Bruyne had a lovely effort from the halfway line, and another horror challenge that only got a yellow card. Matty Phillips, uh, on, two of them. Well, two. McLean on uh, De, Bruyne. De Bruyne when he's running through. But James McLean just does that all the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he missed. Yeah. Um, and I know we said it on Monday, but you look at that Phillips one, and you just think it's ridiculous that we can all see it, and he's just got a yellow card, and he's not going to get banned. I mean, that just seems like such an obvious, easy rule change that would stop that. Yeah, I agree. Good. Um, uh, what do we make of uh, anything else to add to to, to City? Well, Silva was a little bit lucky not to get a red card as well. I thought. I mean, it was nowhere near as bad as Phillips, but it was over the top. And that could, have, yeah, if that had been a red, nobody would have complained. So. That's a fair point. Um, Daniel Sturridge has joined West Brom, and he had a West Brom or Newcastle choice. Uh, did he make the right one, Barry? I don't know. I mean, what's the right choice for? For observers, might not be the right choice for him. He's, he, I think, he's from Birmingham, isn't he? Yeah. And he may have evaluated and decided West Brom have a better chance of staying up. I can see the attraction of becoming a, a hero at Newcastle. You know, they're, they're these loyal fans and passionate fans. But if you look beneath the surface, that it, it's not a. I, I, 
wouldn't imagine it's a very nice place to play at the moment because of the uncertainty, because of the way it's run, because of the uncertainty over the manager's future, because I don't think anyone would be hugely surprised if Rafael Benitez just walked out or, you know, he's he's sort of waging this PR war against Mike Ashley and he got a got a couple of transfers in. Kennedy looked very impressive, I must say, actually. Um, but, yeah, I, I, six of one, half a dozen of the other, so I, I wouldn't certainly wouldn't criticise him for picking West Brom over Newcastle. Um, Ram says this, and it, it, on the subject of City spending, you know, the fact they spent has spent £215 million on defenders and a goalkeeper since the end of last season. The joke during the round that they their defence budget is bigger than Latvia's, Bosnia's, you know, almost double Paraguay's. Um, how much credit, asked Ram, should we dock from Pep for having two players worth more than £30 million for every single position? At this rate, not winning the quadruple would be a failure. I mean, he spent a lot of money, but he's a brilliant coach. And the two... We do help each other, right? I mean, um, yeah, I mean, you probably look at someone like Danilo and think that was a bit of a waste of money. But you know, a lot of people spend a lot of money and don't get anything like as good a tune out of the team. So uh, I don't know. It seems to be a thing that bothers people on Twitter. I don't really care. Okay. He doesn't care, Ram. There was a lovely moment where Pep... Uh, you know, hugged Raheem Sterling, and yeah. I think there's been a there's been another clip doing the rounds of a, a basketball coach with Steph Curry just being like the most incredibly positive, like just I love you, man. You're the best thing in the world, and you just think, God, oh, wouldn't it be nice? That not anyone would feel great if everyone just every day someone came up to you and told you you were brilliant. Do you want me to do that every pod, Barry? Rub your ruffle Rub your head, ruffle your head, and say I believe in you. I'd prefer if you didn't. To okay. be honest, fine. I don't have to. Um, should we move on to Huddersfield Liverpool well, it's just uh, the Riyad Mahrez thing ah obviously. yes uh, City tried to sign him Leicester wouldn't accept their bid and I, an awful lot of people as John to say were getting their panties in a huge bunch over this on Twitter but it seems to me while you know I kind of find it a bit tiresome that Manchester City can just throw as much money as they like at any problem um, that it seemed a perfect move because Mares wanted to go, City wanted him. They need him as a short-term fix, and he would probably—he's good enough to have a long-term future there if it works out. And he doesn't really owe Leicester much, does he? I think they bought him for top and halfpenny, and they were being offered the thick end of was it forty, fifty million quid for him. Well, uh, no, no they, well, they were—they were offered sixty, I think, is fifty-five, sixty. They wanted a hundred. The owners, uh, the tie owners, the, t- the tie owners there, um, they have very deep pockets, not as deep as at Abu Dhabi. But what their view is that Mares signed a new contract with them sometime around that when Leicester won the league title, and you should see out a contract. That's how it works. Mares has different ideas. I remember the last transfer window, he uh, based himself at a European location to ready himself for a transfer. I think he went to Barcelona. And this time he spent, I think it was at East Midlands Airport, we're back to private jets again, where he basically based himself to, if in case he got the call and could get a flight there. But, you know, they obviously, the tie owners and Mares have a different view of what a contract means. Do you think he chartered the plane just in case? That's I'm a weird thing just to keep it running, isn't it? It's like, you know, you've, you've got your Uber and you're like, and or, or your cab's waiting. We're Fred Funk and Tiger Woods <laughs> sitting on board going, come on, we have a tournament on, to get to. Ads, we've got the Dubai Masters. <laughs> Seriously. You've missed the cut. Lee um, Westwood, he's, he lives in the East Midlands, doesn't he? Maybe. <laughs> drop me off, please, wherever I'm signed. Um, uh, to finish off the top of the table, Liverpool won at, at Huddersfield, uh, bounced back from consecutive defeats and looked fairly comfortable really didn't they um, and Huddersfield I think should be worried yeah uh, if I may say this uh, I've seen Huddersfield a few times this season and they are very very bad they're, they're just uh, <laughs> every, every time I've the seen the sort of analysis we want <laughs> yeah yeah. every time I've seen them I've thought I don't quite get how they've picked up these results I mean yeah, they were the first team to beat Jose Mourinho this season in, in the league um, they are 
I, they've got a lot. Okay, maybe I haven't done my research that much, and I don't really recognise many of the players. I don't even recognise the style of play. I mean, they came up with this reputation of a, you know, a clop light performance of pressing and stuff like that. But against Liverpool, they sat deep in the style of. You know, deepest, darkest, pewless. You know, just sat there. <laughs> what a place to be. <laughs> just sort of sat there waiting. And even when they started losing the game, they just thought, you know, oh, let's just keep the score down. Yeah, four defeats in a row, um, one point above the relegation zone. Uh, you're right, they really didn't look great. Um, Liverpool played Spurs on Saturday. And it looks to me the only interesting game on paper in the Premier League, the Premier League games this weekend. Burnley, Man City, Bournemouth, Stoke, Brighton, West Ham, Leicester, Swansea, Manchester United, Huddersfield, West Brom, Southampton, Arsenal, Everton, Palace, Newcastle, Watford, Chelsea. And my, I mean, they could all be amazing football matches. Wenger I mean, uh, versus Big Sam's, I was, <coughs> I was okay, yes. looking out for, but yeah. yeah. Uh, I think the fact that lots of these teams have new players will lend otherwise dreary-looking fixtures a bit of added intrigue is it hanging around with all these old people on the Guardian Post <laughs> that has made me this kind I, of I, grumpy man I, I looked at this and Sam Allardyce has faced Arsenal more than any club in his career um, and he's got a reputation for, for um, downing Arsene Wenger hasn't he in his career but he's only won six matches of 33 I think if you What's put the, if you put him in a glass Arsene Wenger I reckon Big Sam could Literally down, down him. Yeah, I, I bet if you look at the difference between home and away, I bet his home record is. is I know you'd expect it to be better, but I bet it was a, it's like night and day that. Well, I, I'm told that uh, all six of those wins were at home. There you go. So there you go. There you go. It's worth you being here, Jonathan. <laughs> uh, right, that'll do for uh, a long part one. We'll be back with a much shorter part two in a sec. Patrick writes, in all this part two nonsense about your return from the break, has anyone pointed out that in that Gillette spot you say, we'll get back to the show in just a second, before the show has even started? I've noticed Have that. Have you noticed that? Oh, well, uh, it's, that's gone now. There's nothing I can do. Uh, but we'll get back to the show now. Uh, and we'll start with uh, Everton Leicester, um, uh, which was Sam Allardyce's 1,000th game in charge of a club side, their first win for six weeks. We're all pleased for Seamus Coleman and Theo Walcott, aren't we, Barry? Uh, yeah, particularly Coleman, who was out since last March. March, was, yeah. After that horror tackle while on Ireland duty against uh, Wales, doesn't seem to be showing any ill effects whatsoever. Uh, you know, got stuck in, played well, seems to have formed an instant and potentially very profitable partnership down the right with um, Theo Walcott and Walcott scored two goals and just looked very happy to be an Everton player and it's kind of struck me as I don't know why but it just sounded weird to hear the Everton fans constantly chanting Theo 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 you know so they've obviously taken him straight to their hearts and uh, that could be one of the more successful bits of business there's an emerging theme this season, isn't there? Walcott looks to have had a new lease life at Everton. Oxlade Chamberlain was brilliant against City, playing for Liverpool. Uh, Wojtek Szczesny's had a great season for Juve. It's almost like Arsenal's been holding some players back. <laughs> Imagine Sanchez. a player Granit Xhaka could be. If <laughs> <laughs> Alexis Sanchez looked like the Arsenal player, That's though. Wembley, yeah, so it'll take time. It will take time. Uh, a couple of strange transfer uh, deals with Everton. Um, Adam Ola Luckman joined RB Leipzig on loan until the end of the season, two days after Allardyce had said he wasn't going anywhere. Uh, big Sam said Everton tried to persuade him not to make a move and he thinks it's a big challenge for the player's development. Quote, his stubbornness meant that he got he got his own way. I hope he proves us all wrong. And then on David Clarsen's move to Napoli, that fell through. Uh, big Sam said sporting contracts were the difficulties. I can't quite expand on that, but a sporting contract he has with a sporting company was part of the reason why it failed. God knows why or how. This was one of the best moves he could have had in Europe, but for whatever reason, and whoever's fault it was, it failed. We're disappointed, but he should be far more disappointed than us that he's still here and not playing in Napoli in the Italian league. So that sort of sounds promising for the amount of football he's going to get. Well, I think Everton are kind of a case in point in the window sometimes you be careful what you wish for you know people get very excited about new signings and during the summer they got Sandro Ramirez and Davy Klassen and were delighted to have them and both of them have ended up 
for whatever reason, not settling at all and being completely useless. Um, you could have possibly argued that Klassen hasn't got the opportunities, but any time he has played, he's looked just hopelessly out of his depth. I don't doubt he's a good player. Napoli clearly rate him their top of Serie A. But, you know, again, fans get excited about new signings and just signing the player is only the start. You know, the player has to then perform and many of them don't. It's uh, true, isn't it? The players are never better than the moment immediately after they've signed. Yeah. And I think that's why fans love signings, right? Because they, the player exists as pure potential and you haven't seen all his annoying habits and all his misses and all his... It's a metaphor for life, isn't it? It is a metaphor for life. It well, is. Or you signed Jonathan Woodgate for Atlas Real Madrid did and he scores an own goal <laughs> gets sent off or something like that but the that's a metaphor for life as on well. the pitch he's welcome to the Bernabeu nobody was thinking of that that's true um, uh, there are lots of draws West Ham 1 Crystal Palace 1 Newcastle 1 Burnley 1 Saints 1 Brighton 1 and Stoke 0 Watford 0 poor Carl Darlow that was a great save wasn't it and then oh that was so fr- I mean it was a one of those slow motion goals wasn't it that, that he conceded for Newcastle and actually you mentioned earlier Newcastle looked a lot better than they've looked for a long time, I thought. Kennedy made a huge difference. Mm. He was very impressive. And it might be very simplistic way of thinking on my part, but as I was gorging myself on my enormous breakfast, I just thought, well, it's only natural. He's Brazilian. Brazilians want to play. He hasn't been allowed to play. Now he is. And look out, look at him go. You know, it's like cattle who've been cooped up in a barn all winter and suddenly they're released and they just go berserk out in the fields gambling and running and sprinting there's plenty of gambling to be done in Newcastle (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm I'm actually a member of a casino in Newcastle which I presume I joined years ago on a stag do a late drink was required or something like that yeah Yeah. because I like like a bet but I hate casinos I just find them incredibly boring and horrible places to be but so I presume I went in there for late booze and but they would yeah keep getting would it be aspers yeah yeah keep scourging me with emails unsubscribe yeah I could do that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Josselu penalty Barry I I really think if you'd been standing over that I'd have felt more confident you'd have scored than Josselu well the crowd clearly didn't think he was going to score it and that obviously isn't going to instill confidence in the player but what I don't understand and we've seen this happen before with. Christian Benteke and others why do his teammates let him take it if the general consensus among everyone in the ground and presumably his own teammates is that he's going to miss it actually happened at um, Huddersfield on Chiefs as well didn't it that Salah took the penalty and obviously Milner was supposed to take it but Salah decided he wanted a goal and then he, you know, to be fair Salah he did then immediately go straight to Milner and sort of say thank you for letting me take it but surely the you decide before and who's taking it, and unless unless the player's injured or, or whatever, well, I'd, the penalty taker I, takes I it. I doubt Josselu was the designated penalty taker. That's I don't yeah. know. It's quite a bad side. Mm. <laughs> Producer Jonathan has a question. Um, Kennedy is the third Brazilian to play for Newcastle in the Premier League, so the post Mirandinha age. Name the other two. We'll need clues. <laughs> One's called Claudio Capaca. Oh, he was... He C- was a bit... Cacapa? He was Big Sam's undoing, wasn't he? He was there at Big Big Sam's brief period at the club. And one was called Fumacha. I mean, I can't remember either of these two. I, I, no. I think that they got Cacapa from, from Leon, but he was sort of a bit of a star down there. But in Newcastle, uh, means something else these days, I think, yeah, well, that name. Yeah. <laughs> There's a great Newcastle Brazilian quiz for you to play. With your friends. West Ham... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> West Ham's draw with Palace. Antonio was not in the squad after being late for a team meeting. Um, which is silly, isn't it? I mean, well, you don't have that much to do as a footballer, do you? Be there at 10. Just be there at 10. Um, uh, but look, fair play to these guys. Roy and... and uh, uh, whoever, I can't even remember. <laughs> David. <Moises. laughs> Fair play to these guys, David Moyes and Roy Hodgson. Their records, West Ham unbeaten in six, Palace have only lost two in 14. Um, they're both now higher up the league table. Um, they've both done very well, haven't they? They have, yeah. 
And I thought the way, um, in particular that, that Palace City game, the way Hodgson sort of stopped City playing, um, you know, it, it, for all the mockery Hodgson gets, that, that was tactically was was brilliant. You know, let the two centre backs have the ball and, and block in the full backs, and and you, I mean, you don't stop them, but you slow them down. And West Ham, to be fair to Moyes, loads of injury problems. Antonio wasn't in the squad. Masuaku wasn't either. Um, and their f- owners uh, seem to be hell bent on sabotaging their own club <clears throat> yes um, uh, they feel that a team of six defenders and two defensive midfielders I presume you're alluding to the director of transfers uh, Tony Henry suspended after saying West Ham didn't want to sign any more African players have yeah. you seen this story well it was run in the mail uh, on the back of an email that was leaked from West Ham to Matt Lawton from the mail and it doesn't make for very pleasant reading this Tony Henry telling the mail yeah, African players can cause mayhem when they're not in the team so we don't want to sign them um, now African players can cause mayhem when we're, they're in the team as well as we've seen from Salah and um, Mane. Sadio Mane at Liverpool but uh, you know that's an atrocious policy to have who leaked the email why why was it leaked at so the the story went live on the mail at exactly 11.30 on transfer deadline day. Also, Bianca Westwood from Sky Sports has been making the point on Twitter this morning, you know, she's a dying-the-wool West Ham fan, that uh, West Ham fans have been getting on Jordan Hugel's back on Twitter already because he's not glamorous enough. You know, he's been signed for $8 million from Preston. Uh, striker, I don't know anything about him. He came from the Glen Hoddle Academy. Okay. Same as Sam Clucas. So, yeah. you know, no, he might be good. He yeah. might, but you know, don't don't criticise him. He hasn't kicked the ball yet. Don't criticise him for. As Jonathan says, you're you're never better than when you've yeah. just been signed. But West Ham, yeah, well, they're already on his back, yeah. according to Bianca well, Westwood. Right. There's just a weird thing with with certain fans that. Is that they, they might have got a great bargain. They might have got a great forward for eight million quid. He's going to stay at the club for ten years and score, you know, twenty goals a season. But they'd almost rather have a fifty million pound flop because they can get excited about him for a week until he is rubbish in his first game. I, mean, I don't know what John Hughes' uh, YouTube clips are like. Max expected you might have watched it. Oh, Matt, they're magical. Uh, the only thing is, it's a Tony Henry thing. Um, I, I, there's a, there's a, I agree with Barry. I think Barry's alluding to. There's a certain amount of intrigue going on there. The thing is, when uh, David Moyes was appointed, which was October November, one of the things that I was told at the time I went to David Moyes' unveiling was that Tony Henry was one of the driving forces between David Moyes' presence at the squad at the, at the actual club. That's interesting. That throws. Uh, and, and part of the, um, the the Matt Lawton article said that this was a, a a policy among the management that throws in several questions. Well, then it, it raises issues to Moyes' time at Sunderland as well, where you know, famously he wanted to make the squad more British, which meant Didier and Dong not getting a game. Yeah, I mean, can we link the two? I'm not uh, sure uh, at yeah, this point, but um, I mean, it, the, the, the the example seems to be that because Sacco has been a, a problem player for them that. Africans are not to be signed, which really doesn't hold any water as a, a, a business practice at all, does it? No, it's well, in any kind of practice, I mean, yeah. it's, it's mental. Um, uh, Southampton uh, won, Brighton won. A lovely back heel from Jack Stevenson. Stoke drew nil nil with Watford. Uh, Jonathan asks, can the panel envisage the scenario in which Saido Berahino's box set marathon of a gold drought is ended, only to be ruled out by the VAR a minute later? Uh, well, VAR will probably have been completely and utterly introduced to the game. <laughs> will no longer be on trial the next time Saida Berahino scores. Will they have it in the Championship, though? <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, Stoke signed another striker, didn't they? Uh, I couldn't tell you who it was, but I definitely heard in the radio they've signed another. It's hard to see Berahino getting another opportunity there. It, it, it's gone beyond comical at this stage. Like he, He's a footballer who doesn't play football, a striker who never scores. He hasn't scored in, I would say, I think it was 2,000 minutes the time I wrote my article about him. That's a long time ago. He's played a bit since, not much, but I'd say say it's getting on towards 2,500 minutes of football since he scored a goal. I mean, that's unbelievable. Um, Yeah, and it's a good way to finish this bit. And we'll be back in a second with the next bit. (laughs) 
Give Cheech a chance, says, now that Max no longer says welcome back between the parts, I miss it. <laughs> you can't win. Um, hey, we're going to do a, an Italian roundup of the, the semi-final first days of the Copa Italia. Barry, don't worry. You don't have to be sent to your emergency piazza. We've got Paolo Bandini to uh, record an update for us. This is uh, uh, breaking new ground on the Guardian Football Weekly. It's now time for Copa Italia semi-final first leg update. Your reporter is Paolo Bandini. Just the one goal across two semi-final first legs in the Coppa Italia, but there would have been more if it wasn't for Gigi Buffon, who celebrated his 40th birthday at the weekend and celebrated that by returning from injury to save a penalty as Juventus won 1-0 away to Atalanta. It's a significant result, actually. Atalanta are playing good football this season. They really were targeting this tournament. You could see that from the team selection. Um, and also significant for, for Buffon, actually, because Juventus have been on this incredible defensive tear, really not conceding any goals at all, um, with Wojciech Szczesny in goal. And he's been playing very well. So Buffon, at 40 years old, you just start to get those questions creeping in of whether or not he would have come back and, and been able to keep it going, which he has. Um, so it's now 15 games the events have gone with just one goal conceded across all competitions. Um, but but actually, this was one of the best performances in all that time as well. They're starting to look like they might just be rounding into form for an important part of the year as the Champions League returns as well. So a very, very promising and impressive win away to Atalanta for Juventus. Second game was Milan Lazio, second time in four days that they had met at San Siro. Uh, the Rossoneri had one of their best performances of the season to win in the first of those games in the league. Uh, this time, Lazio had much more about them. Chiro Mobile starting up front after injury. Felipe Anderson starting, uh, but no goals at all. Couldn't break the deadlock on either side. Uh, Hakan Chahanoglu with the best chance of the game for Milan, but he absolutely fluffed it with the goal at his mercy. Hey, thanks, Paolo. See, I think that should have ended with Paolo going... Paolo Bandini standing in front of the Trevi Fountain with some local delinquents poking a dildo right. in my ear. <laughs> it sounded like he was recording it in his own toilet though, so he couldn't have record he couldn't have said he was at the Trevi Fountain. He was in a hotel room in America apparently. Yeah. He oh, he's that. probably at the Super Bowl, isn't he? He's there for the yeah. Super Bowl, yeah. So he's in Minneapolis. It sounded to me like a Minneapolis hotel toilet. So, so that Prince studio sound, yeah, you know I mean? yeah. I think so. Did you like that report, Wilson? Yes. Yeah, good. Will you concentrate? What happened? Paolo talked about football. is lovely. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, some weird transfers from across Europe. Cedric Bakambu uh, left Villarreal, Villarreal to go to Beijing Guan. Uh, confusion over this deal. It was reported weeks ago. Um, the Chinese club are trying to get around a rule which was introduced, meaning they pay 100% tax on any fee over $7 million. Um, they say he bought himself out of his contract for thirty-five and a half million and was a free agent. Uh, his uh, a record of forty-eight goals in one hundred and five games meant he'd attracted interest from Palace, Everton, and West Ham. Turned them all down for a lucrative trip to China. Uh, Rafinha's left Barcelona to join Inter Milan on loan. Uh, Atletico Bilbao moved swiftly to replace uh, Laporte, uh, activating Inigo Martinez's twenty-eight million pound release clause at Archrifles Real Sociedad. Martinez explained, "My body told me I needed a change of scenery." Uh, angry Sociedad he, fans, quick to point out, he'd only moved an hour's drive away. <laughs> he scored a goal from inside his own half against Athletic. Um, it was uh, Bielsa's first win in La Liga uh, and I, 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 was, I was at that game and I, I was sat next to Michael Cox uh, though obviously not like to speak about him now Who? yeah uh, and he, he, he had a, a shot from inside his own half and we were both sort of watching the ball going that's going in I said, how, how nice does the ball get there there'd be nothing to kind of register because there'd be no sort of threat and it's only when I watched it back that the ball is um, balling put out for a throw because somebody was injured and it was just returned to him and nobody closed him down. He had a shot from 70 yards. Inigo Martinez. Um, uh, the best announcement of the day was Samuel Eto'o to Konyaspor, which I'm reliably informed was a Game of Thrones credits uh, uh, homage, Barry, where it goes from stadium and then Google Earth's out and then Google Earth's in. But have I, having never watched Game of Thrones, it's a bit like talking to Jonathan about Alanis Morissette. Um, <laughs> talking of those, did you see the video that Everton have done for the loan signing of Mangala? Now, that was a signing, I think it was announced at 12.45am. 
which you know annoyed a few pals of mine in the Merseyside region that had to knock up 25 paragraphs on this but um, this sort of fairly soft focus thing of him joining Everton it it seemed entirely necessary, unnecessary considering it was a loan you know is there a cut off point where we make these videos only for a permanent signing or a loan is that what you're watching now? I'm watching it now. It's nice. It's kind of, yeah, it, it, it pans across a Sky Sports reporter, then it pans across Big Sam chatting to someone, and then some people putting Mangala's name on a shirt, and then two people just sort of standing over a contract, and then him doing the OK sign. It, uh, yeah, producer Jonathan makes a good point. It looks like an ad for life insurance, doesn't it? <laughs> um, uh, <clears throat> there was also a really great moment on uh, Sky Sports News, and I forget which commentator, which reporter it was and I feel enormous sympathy for those guys who have to stand outside a ground was Dominic Cork doing it yesterday just Stoke he's just he? Stoke yeah. yeah is there anything kind of tells you more about the the hierarchy of sports in this country that a man who took a test hat-trick I was there were you I was Vince there Wendy's in Old Trafford, yeah. five, was it something like that 95 yeah but he's yeah, he's been reduced to kind of standing outside loitering in a car park outside Britannia Stadium kind of <laughs> Talking about Saida Berahino's contract situation. There was one, I don't know who it was, uh, uh, he was talking about Batshuayi, and he began the, he began his report saying, bats, normally nocturnal creatures. <laughs> oh, it was, what's his name? Uh, David Gar- Craig, wasn't it? No, it wasn't no, David Craig, was it Gary Cotterill? Gary Cotterill. Always Gary Cotterill. Bats, bats, normally not nocturnal t- creatures, not doing much. But not Batsman. That's the nickname of Mushi Batshuayi, who's been busy this morning. I mean, to be honest, though, like if you've been there for five hours, I mean, I wouldn't, I would, I would not be able to cope. It's that great David Squires cartoon. You know the bloke who got the dildo shop in his ear. Oh yeah, it yeah. starts with him kind of. He was a kid, so his tongue sticking out of his mouth, kind of drawing pictures of, uh, of football, and then him uh, studying, him working, him proudly kind of there on his first day, kind of at the back of the press conference, and then kind of like the haunted look <laughs> as he's kind of stuck in a car park with a dildo in his ear. Well, it, 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 there's, there's that image that I always have is when they're off camera of them sort of sat in the back of a car with a, with a cameraman, you know, sharing a flask, sat there thinking, oh, we're on in 10 minutes and we're going to have to come up with something. I mean, I think there was a guy outside Brighton that was stuck there, you know, outside the Amex all night, you know, that had to admit, you know, there'll be no business done here and, you know, I was there till 10.45 to announce this. I worked at the BBC for years and uh, uh, had to do, you know, all manner, and at Radio Cambridge, all manner of ridiculous reports, but do you remember when the whale was in the Thames? Oh, yeah. Right, and uh, there was a BBC London TV reporter who uh, was in a van near the river and News 24... You know, he was like the first one vaguely near it. So News 24 cut to him and they had sort of footage of the whale in the Thames and they kept asking him questions. At the end of every question, he did that news reporter thing where it's, and we just hope the whale survives. I don't ask me another question. They'd be like, and Gareth, one more thing. And it went on for like 20 minutes and at the end of every single sentence, and we just hope the whale survives. And it's like that. The day it was announced David Bowie died... Um, the house he was born in and grew up in for an early part of his life was just around the corner from mine. So, out of curiosity, I just went around to have a look to see were there people outside being sad and having a vigil. And at that point, there weren't, but it was quite early in the morning. But there were three news vans pulled up outside. And I was just going like, what are these reporters going to do? They have to now stand outside the door of someone's house. I, I saw. A, I used to live near Wimbledon Magistrates Courts and one of George Best's final public acts was to be done for drink driving. And uh, I spotted this and I said to me, mate, let's go and watch this. So we watched Bestie come out and this was at like 10.30 in the morning and it's TV crews everywhere and people looking for Vox Pops on George Best and all this type of thing. And we went out for the day and I came back at 8 o'clock and there were still TV vans and George Best had left at 10.30. But there were people still reporting live from George Best's trial at Wimbledon Mags. But I have to say, we, we're in no position to scoff at these people because nothing and I, nothing is more undignified than a fo- post-football match mix zone. They are just oh, the right. pits. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> where do journalists to avoid them. getting a scrum to, you know, get banal 
platitudes from footballers who have no interest in talking to them. Spotting some innocent foreigner who doesn't understand the kind of the stratification of, of the English media and kind of yeah, seeing him being bawled out by some furious... Oh, I did one where uh, I did it after the entertainment ones. And I once asked Bruce Willis a stupid question and he ran away and all the other people in our pen were absolutely raging with me for I can't what remember. What was the question? I don't know, I offered him a quid to buy something stupid. I, I mean, it was so, sort of Dennis Penis stuff. That thing. kind of yeah, yeah I was yeah. like a shit Dennis Penis. <laughs> <laughs> was that better or worse than being a shit Tim Lovejoy? <laughs> It's all it's all good for the show reel <laughs> at some point. Uh, the championship, uh, Villa are up to third, thanks to Robert Snodgrass, last-minute winner at Sheffield United. Uh, it was a great goal uh, to steal a 1-0 win. Birmingham are out of the bottom three, Barry, after a, and Jonathan, after a 3-1 win over Sunderland, who are now second bottom. Uh, defending for the third goal was particularly horrendous. I haven't seen it, thankfully. I was in, I was in Budapest. You've been linked with uh, Carl Lafferty from Hearts, uh, but you didn't get him. Um, I've linked with a lot of people who I didn't I was, really think would make the club any better. So. I was really worried when Hibbs released Anthony Stokes. Yeah. I was thinking, oh no, not again. <laughs> but the spider is no more, so there's no way yeah. for him to. So, but they've got some. Ashley Fletcher from... from Middlesbrough, one goal in his last 32. Right. Oh, that's, that's pretty West good. Legend. Well, Josh Madge has got one goal and. Um, Joe Lasora's got one goal, so he'll, he'll fit right in. Uh, former Wigan and Chesterfield manager Gary Caldwell's applied for the Scotland job and has spoken to the SFA Chief Exec Stuart Reagan. Uh, it'll be discussed today at a board meeting. Uh, maybe one of those ones that's announced after we've finished recording. Celtic beat Hearts 3-1 on Tuesday. They're still 11 points clear of Aberdeen in second. Uh, big news for them is they held on to Moussa Dembele. Uh, in that game, the 3-1 win, uh, 16-year-old Harry Cochran was taken out by Scott Brown and forced off injured, uh, slightly unlucky, but he bruised his collarbone in the, the challenge. Um, uh, Gavin McCafferty writes on Twitter, Levine asked uh, whether the 16-year-old Harry Cochran should get more protection from refs after the Scott Brown challenge, and he just said, I think everybody should get a little bit more protection from Scott Brown. <laughs> um, uh, Is he the same 16-year-old that took Scott Brown to school in a match earlier this season? Before 4-0 or 4-1 when, when Hearts beat the end of the unbeaten one. What are game. you suggesting? I'm suggesting it might be a, a revenge Revenge attack. Scott Brown. He, um, he abs- it was one of his first matches and he, he made look, Scott Brown look very foolish indeed. And I would imagine Scott Brown hasn't forgotten. You are right, Barry. Uh, here's the incident. No, I think it was pretty unlucky you know, when okay. you watch it. Um, so uh, Scott Brown will let you off. Has anyone seen the amazing penalty from Turkey? Yes. Uh, yes. Does anyone want to describe it? Uh, is it a chap called Dodo? Well... Uh, my friend Alan Smith described it as the worst penalty ever, and I think he's pretty bang on with that description. It's a sort of skew. Do you remember Zaza's? Yes. Famous. It's like that, but in slow motion. Yeah, it's the slowest penalty you've ever seen. So the, the, your friend Alan Smith being the short Irishman who used to work here rather than the lanky former Leicester and Arsenal forwards. Yes. Well, I, I, I know the other Alan Smith as well, but uh, <laughs> I'm closer to young Alan, yes. Pat Nevin scored a great, uh, missed a great penalty. With that very, ca- the, the most casual side foot into a keeper's arms. And there's one, and I just can't remember his name, the guy that trips over in the mud and yeah. gets the ball stuck under his feet and it doesn't even doesn't even reach the goal. And, and there's Gary Lineker as well to equal Bobby Charlton's or, oh, against, in, Brazil, yeah, against yeah. Brazil and he just passes it into his hands. Yeah, And uh, Mickey Gray, of course. We'll always have Mickey Gray. Yeah, no, we haven't missed a penalty since Seb Larson missed against Wolves for the last game before Martin O'Neill took over. I think 28 we scored in a row. Pre- producer Jonathan gets it. It's Peter Devine. Ah, Just YouTube yes. Peter Devine yeah, penalty. Yeah. It will make you so, so happy. A lovely story from Brazil. Have you seen this one? Fans of Brazilian club Portuguesa, angry at their team's 3-0 defeat, intercepted a delivery of pizza to the home dressing room and ate it. Um, uh, one of the supporters told Reuters this. I thought Reuters had sort of more important news to cover. Um, the Sao Paulo club lost 3-0 against Oeste on Tuesday. The club ordered pizzas, as they always do, uh, for the players to eat. But the delivery boy went in the wrong gate, drove in front of some fans. Fans got the money together, bought the pizzas, gave four to the cleaner and the guy on the turnstile and kept the other six. <laughs> Um, and here's a line from Matt Walker says one of my favourite football jokes who's the most unpopular man on the terraces at Borussia Mönchengladbach 
The bloke who says, give me a B. Exactly right. Uh, feedback corner, anybody? Uh, Mikhail says, swarms of locusts pose a threat to the World Cup in Russia, uh, as they could attack the pitches. Uh, this is from Pritor Shem... Chekmarev, head of Agricultural Ministry's Crop Farming Department, uh, says that locusts in Russia like green and football pitches are green. Uh, do we have any other examples of animals interfering with football matches? Yeah, the moths at the um, European Championship final. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And there was, wasn't there, a, a, I wouldn't say a plague of worms, but there was a, too many worms at Old Trafford a few seasons ago. Sending Sean Dyche. And they'd, <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. And they'd, they'd the, the, the surface was, as it often is at Old Trafford, was not good and too many of them had started eating their way through it. Well, Mikel makes that point. If Sean Dyche were in Russia, would he see this locust threat as merely a tasty buffet? Um, I've eaten locusts. And? Salty. Well, they taste the garlic because they've like been chicken. fried in garlic. Uh, Dom says, not a question, but I did mention to my wife about Lars eating wild boar and when she was shopping yesterday, she bought some. So thanks for influencing our dinners, says Dom Thomas. Uh, Samuel says, uh, I just passed the Australian opposition leader, Bill Shorten, on a jog while listening to the Guardian Football Weekly. Can you count him as a listener by association? We absolutely can. Um, oh, by the way, Jonathan, now you're here, we, it came up that um, who was the former Chelsea footballer who liked one of your tweets? Oh, Melchior, Mario yeah, Melchior. Melchior. Yeah. And then we decided he was the best footballer that listens to Football Weekly because the general consensus seemed to be that he's slightly better than Kevin Kilban. I, I wouldn't I, necessarily agree. Only alliterative footballers listen. <laughs> but uh, I completely for Ian Wright listens to Football Weekly. Ah, oh, does he? So he's he could buy and sell both of them. You've got to go some way to be better than Ian Wright. He was a really <laughs> good player. If you're better than Ian Wright uh, and you listen, please get in touch. Um, to be honest, if you're a clogger in League Two and you listen, to get inside. <laughs> we got very excited when a linebacker for the Cleveland Browns listened. Producer Jonathan has just written in the script. End, 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 and obviously when you're watching the game you kind of you don't concentrate equally for all 90 minutes uh, you, you kind of you zone in and out according to how important it feels at what well, point you did you zone out the most of this pod was it Paolo's roundup? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there were many other moments I'm just tired I'm sorry hey anyway a tired Wilson is still a good Wilson oh, you're far well, too kind thanks thank you. for your time no thank you thank you John thank you thank you Barry you're welcome don't eat any more eggs today no nope. otherwise you'll be bound won't you I'm with you. <laughs> Bound. <laughs> we'll be back on Monday and we'll find out if Barry's been. <laughs> <laughs> For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. 